1: Hey, my friends, I'm so excited to tell you that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead After Being Knocked Down, is now available for pre-order. You can go and do that now. The link will be in the show notes below. I would greatly appreciate each and every one of you if you could go and pre-order a copy right now. The book will be officially launched September 27th of this year, but you can go and pre-order a copy of the book right now, and I hope that you all consider doing that. All right. Let's do the show. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybox. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you are here today, now let's journey into the story box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Western Australia, 1896. As the pearling ships return to Bannon Bay. After a long diving season, 20-year-old Eliza Brightwell nervously awaits the arrival of her father's boat. But when his Luger finally limps in, it brings with it a tale of tragedy. Charles Brightwell, Master Perla, has gone missing at sea. That is Moonlight and the Perla's Daughter, which is written by my amazing guest today. Her name is Lizzie Pook. Now, for those of you that don't know who she is, Lizzie is an award-winning writer and journalist. She began her career in women's magazines covering everything from cognitive-enhancing drugs to conspiracy theories. In 2015, she moved into travel journalism reporting for publications such as Condi, Nast Traveler, uh, Rough Guides, Lonely Planet, and The Sunday Times. Her assignments have taken her to some of the most remote parts of the world, from the uninhabited east coast of Greenland in search of roaming polar bears to the haunting mountains of the trans-Himalayas to track endangered snow leopards. She was inspired to write Moonlight and the Pearl's Daughter, which is her brand new novel, a debut novel actually, After spending time in Northwestern Australia, my homeland, not Northwestern Australia, but Australia, researching the dangerous and fascinating pearl diving industry. This book has been already published, so you can go and get a copy of it right now in Australia, that is, and New Zealand. And in March, which is the month right now, it is already published for you guys too, and it will be published in the US and Canada come June. But... This is quite a fascinating conversation, not one just about this book that she wrote, but more about who Lizzie is as an author, why she decided to write this book. She has been through some uh, of her own health conditions and and issues in the past, which we do get into during this conversation, which I did find uh, quite informative as well as thank you, Lizzie, for being so vulnerable in in sharing those uh, very personal pieces of information during this conversation. So my friends, if you do get something from this conversation, and I have no doubt that you will, please share it around to all your friends and your family. Let everyone know about this one. Also, my friends, I do want to let you know that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead After Being Knocked Down, is now available for pre-order. Everything that you need for the links to pre-order that on Amazon is in the show notes below. So you can do that right now if you wish, but make sure to come back to this episode and listen to it too. All right, so my friends, you know what time it is. It is time to take the adventure of a lifetime as we journey into this story box and listen to the incredible wisdom, the advice and the stories of none other than Lizzie Pook.
0: Hi, pleasure to be here. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much for for taking the time to be here. I know you're in the UK, so it's quite Late for you, but the good thing is, you're a night owl. I'm a morning person, so I guess it worked out. <laughs>
0: that works out well, yeah, <laughs> perfect match <laughs>
1: indeed. Indeed. Well, congratulations, first and foremost, on writing, I guess, your debut novel. I mean, writing a book in the first place is no easy thing, there's a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of emotions that does go into it, especially even for a novel. Um, I, I do want to get into it in just a moment and then unbox more of your story, but the very first question that I do have for you is a question I love asking all my guests at the very start, which is what does success look like for you?
0: Oh, starting with a tough question. Do you know what? I think success for me is living a balanced and happy life where I can do what I enjoy doing without having to worry about things like financial pressures and things like that. So it's not necessarily, you know, I'm an author and I don't necessarily see success as, you know, being at the top of the book charts or selling X amount of books. But I think having a life where I can just write and be happy and provide for my loved ones is success to me, mm-hmm. I think. I like <laughs> but I just—I also think success is an ever-changing thing. I think our goalposts change constantly throughout our lives, don't they? And, mm. you know, perhaps if you'd asked me that 10 years ago, my answer would probably have been very different. So that's my answer today. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I like that answer. Was there more of a, a catalyst moment for you when you did realize that that was success right now? Or was it because you mentioned that it sort of changed for you over time. Why is that the case for you?
0: Do you know what? I I actually think it's probably health. Um, This, uh, the reason I made, well, not the reason, one of the reasons that I made the transition from a very, very active and on-the-go career um, as a travel journalist to being more focused on novel writing is because I went through a period of ill health. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was basically told that that ill health was being exacerbated by stress, both mental and physical And so I was basically forced to stop and to sort of ground myself. And when I'd been used to taking, you know, dozens of long haul flights a year, it was a very strange place to be. It was very still and very quiet and I didn't really know what was going to happen next. Um, And so I started writing this book and I never, ever sort of envisaged novel writing as a as a career option. I never thought that I would be able to make a living sitting, you know, at my little desk in London and writing a book. And then, you know, that's what I do. And I get paid to do that. And it's amazing. But um, now that has become part of my life, I've realized how important sort of taking care of my health is, and how important it is to have a job. That means that I can do that. So I think that's where you know, whereas perhaps when I was in my mid-20s and I was a very busy journalist working in women's magazines at that point, success would have been getting the front cover of a particular magazine or getting the best story or, you know, just churning, churning, churning out work. Whereas now it's being able to take longer, you know, sort of a longer and more considered approach to a project. Mm. Um, and that that's really gratifying.
1: It's interesting, isn't it, how... Our health, like when we do have a, a crisis of health, that sort of changes our perspective on life quite a bit. I mean, it should for most people. It <laughs> has for me quite a lot. Um, are you comfortable with sharing what the health crisis was?
0: Sure. So I was diagnosed with um, chronic illness, so an autoimmune um, disease it's called ankylosing spondylitis. It's not um, dissimilar to something like rheumatoid arthritis. So mm. it means that you live with sort of chronic pain and fatigue and, you know, it's, it's, it, it, it can be managed and I, I do take medication for it, but it can be quite an exhausting disease in that, you know, one day you can be perfectly fine and, you know, going on a hike for 10 miles and then the next day you just can't get out of bed. Mm. And it's often quite difficult to pinpoint when those flares will be. Um, and so that what's been really good about being an author is that I can manage my workload around my health, which has been really, really, um, you know, a really positive thing in this. So it's, you know, taking some getting used to, but no, I'm okay. I'm, I'm fine. But it's just sort of, um, now creating a life that has that within it.
1: Um, yeah. So. Has it been hard for you to actually create the life that sort of doesn't like in affects the autoimmune?
0: Um, It can be really hard, especially when, you know, stress is something that, um, you know, it's external factors. You know, I don't necessarily create my own stress. So if something happens, then I will, you know, if something negative happens, I will very possibly get ill because of the stress of it. But then also there's things like managing illness through diet and lifestyle and things like that sometimes that's really hard when you're just really busy and when you just, you know, you have so many things to do and you can't think, oh gosh, should I be eating this? Should I be doing these sort of stretches? Should I be doing this sort of exercise? And sometimes you forget that you can't just do the things that you used to do, you know, five, 10 years ago and not suffer any consequences of it. So that can be difficult too. But you know, there are some days when I'm perfectly fine and I don't notice it at all. And that's lovely. And that's great. It's just sort of, you know, preparing for those bad days when they come and then allowing yourself to take that rest. You know, I've had to basically ban the word lazy from my vocabulary. I would not allow myself to think of myself as lazy or, or, you know, use that word because I just don't think it's, it should exist as a concept. You know, mm. if, if you need rest, you need rest and your body and your brain will tell you that you need that. So yeah, it's just sort of creating the space to be able to do that.
1: I can understand what it's like living with autoimmune. I mean, I'm still relatively young, and I found out last year that I have autoimmune in my esophagus, which kind of affects all kinds of areas with the fatigue. I get night sweats. It it affects sleep. It's a horrible sort of conundrum that you gotta somehow manage. And we don't. You
0: don't. We don't look ill. That's the thing. And you know, with, with chronic illness and autoimmune conditions certainly in the young, it, they're invisible illnesses. And, you know, if, you know, you can say to someone, I feel terrible today. They say, oh, but you, you know, you look fine. I don't understand, you know, yep. you, you're all, all, you've got everything in place and everything seems okay. But um, that's why I think communication is really important as well. Like just with your other half or your family members or even your friends and just being like, look, I'm really sorry. I'm not going to bang on about this, but there will be days where I just have to say to you, I can't make this thing that we'd that we'd agreed to do X amount of time ago. I'll make it up to you, um, but you know this is going on. So I just think talking about it is really, really good. Um, yeah, and helps raise awareness for for things like that. so
1: I also think as well, I'm the sort of person that doesn't like resting one bit, so I've had to so- sort of somehow get to that place (laughs) (laughs)
0: I'm
1: one of those people that just goes over and above like I'm constantly thinking constantly doing something otherwise I feel like you said lazy in a way if I'm not doing something Um, but I'm curious how has this whole experience this whole, whole health crisis affected your writing has it been a positive thing for your writing or a negative thing you think
0: think it's been a positive thing um the, because you know writing is a very solitary pursuit but also it's something that you can do anywhere at any time genuinely all you need is a piece of paper and a pen um so whereas you know if you might have a an office job and you can't go into what, an office because you're feeling terrible you know i can still sit you know there have been days where I've been in my bed with like a hot water bottle on one part of my body because it's hurting and like Mm -hmm. and a heat thing around my neck because it's hurting but I can still be scribbling away or reading research books and stuff like that um and also I, I do think that it just puts things into perspective um and that's been really helpful too just in terms of like it's a cliche, but trying not to sweat the small stuff. Um, so even if it comes to being worried about how the book's received or being worried about reviews or being worried about sort of edits that I've just got back from my publishing team, being able to sort of keep perspective and be like, oh, do you know what? It's just words. It is, it's just a book is is actually quite positive and quite freeing, I think. Um, yeah, and it's, it's nice to be able to explore certain things in writing as well um you know whether that's illness or whether that's grief or you know what motivates you or things like that that's that's been really freeing about fiction writing because obviously as a journalist everything that you're writing about generally is other people and things that have actually happened whereas with fiction and actually i found an interesting transition from journalism into fiction, you're like, Oh, you mean I have to make this up? And there are no boundaries between, you know, no, no constraints as to what I can write. Um, so that's been really interesting too, but, uh, yeah, it's an ongoing relationship, sort of the balancing the chronic illness and the writing and, uh, mm. we'll see how it goes.
1: I can imagine. Well, hopefully you're not too tired and you get to receive all the praise that I have no doubt that is coming <laughs> with this book. Um, <laughs> Why Why do you decide to go into journalism in the first place and then become a travel writer? I mean that's that would be a lot of fun for if you like traveling that is
0: yeah <laughs> like <in> the world.
1: <laughs> um, but why journalism and do you miss it today?
0: Um, so basically back in the day my, my first desire was to be a music journalist I was obsessed with music and sort of going on tour and being on the road and we've got a magazine over here called The Enemy and I just would read it you know as I was in a band and I just loved that sort of idea of that lifestyle so my very first foray into journalism was writing about, about, about music and film and things like that um and then I just started becoming really interested in um gonzo journalism so journalism where people throw really throw themselves into the story and write about these sort of weird and unusual things um and there's a writer called John Ronson who wrote a book called um The Psychopath Test and Men Who Stare at Goats and and books like that and he was just my idol and I thought he was amazing um and Louis Theroux is another one who's um if, if you know him, Amazing. um, and I just, I just love that, and I thought, oh, do you know what? I'm going to be a female Louis Through, and that was really my ambition. Um, and so I was really lucky to have editors who would entertain these sort of bizarre stories and allow me to go and do these things. So I think in, in one of my jobs, I went to India to ride motorbikes with a feminist motorcycle gang, I went <laughs> to Paris to stay in a squat with, um, a load of topless protesters in, um, in Paris. And so it's just really interesting. And I just thrived on like the weird and the wacky. And I, and I went to brain spas to get a load of tests done on my brain and stuff like that. It's just a really, really interesting job. But hey, it's a high octane career. It's a stressful, fast paced job. You're just sort of constantly churning stuff out. Um, and so I decided to go freelance. Mm -hmm. and sort of expanded to some different stuff and that's when I moved into the travel sphere because I went uh traveling to sort of mark the difference between my staff jobs and my and my freelance jobs and started writing stuff while I was on the road and I was like what you're telling me that this is a job that you know you know you can you can travel and write about what you've what you've seen and so I did it was a lot of graft I basically started from the bottom up again because I'd been in, in women's mags um, or on staff. And then I was starting again as a freelance journalist in the travel sphere. And the travel sphere is really competitive. It's still quite male-dominated as well. Um, but, you know, I just put in the work um, and kept pitching, kept pitching, kept making connections. And eventually that, that became my main sort of source of income. And, you know, I was traveling around the world to these incredible places and writing about it. And looking back on it now, that seems ridiculous to me. I can't believe, you know, especially having, well, we're still in this pandemic, but I just can't believe that, that that was such a solid period of my life. And, um, it was incredible. And I I saw some amazing things and feel very, very privileged to have done that.
1: I mean, I can imagine half the things (laughs) you probably would have experienced and seen, but (laughs) I want to, I want to get to some of those, as well in just a moment. I promise we'll get to your book. Um, (laughs) but what did all those experiences teach you about the nature of what makes a good story compared to what makes a great story?
0: Oh, so interesting. Uh, Do you know what? I think it's, I think it's detail. It's like the tiny little details that can really make a turn a good story into a great story. Mm. Um, and I was just thinking, I was thinking about this earlier, because I was speaking to somebody about a trip that I took to Greenland, and I went on an expedition vessel to the uninhabited east coast of Greenland, which was as sort of magical as y- you might assume, you know, we saw polar bears, musk oxen, we went into fjords that people hadn't been in since Inuit hunters were there hundreds of years ago, it was just insane, but what I most remember about that trip is we were, we were off satellite signal. We had no connection to anybody for days. You know, if something had happened to any of us on that ship, you know, that was it. There was no way we were, we were getting help. And we had no connection to anyone, but I, I remember seeing one day just sort of a play, an airplane go across this big blue sky and we hadn't seen anyone for days. And it just felt like this most, bizarre sort of detail to the story, but it really sort of encapsulates how isolated we felt on that trip. So I do think it's detail. I think it's anecdotes. And I think it's speaking to the right people Like you can just meet. I, I've had the privilege of meeting so many interesting people. And then also not the people that you necessarily think are going to be the most interesting, mm. you know, it's some, some of the most fascinating people I've met have been, you know this is an interesting job but say bus drivers because they see so much and they meet so many different people and they hear so many things in the back of their bus so I think uh I think yeah it's all of those things but it's a hard question
1: (laughs) (laughs) my dad's actually a bus driver so he's he's I say he's probably he claims that he's not patient but I mean, to be able to be a bus driver in Sydney, Australia, you've got to. Be I a good can person. imagine.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think he's got some good stories too. I, I'm sure
1: he does. Like I've heard some of them, <laughs> and I'm just going, "What is going on with some people?" Honestly, it, it just <laughs> yeah. makes for a great story. Um, what sort of has what what inspired you to to write this particular book and set it in Western Australia? Apart, like all the places in the world, you could have set it. Why Western Australia?
0: I mean, I love Western Australia for a start. It's one of my favourite places on the planet. But the answer is that I, I basically happened upon a new obsession while I was in Western Australia. So I was in Broome in the Northwest Kimberley which is the most beautiful place you could possibly ever see. It's an old pearling town. um, And it's stunning with its bright red soil, its bright green seas. You know, it really is a ludicrously beautiful place. Um, But it's got this fascinating history with pearl diving. And I was during a tour at a place called Willie Creek Pearls. um, Mm. And they were talking to us about all the, you know, the divers going down to the seabeds and... Um, contending with sharks and crocodiles and whales that would get entangled on their airlines and drag them through the water and they'd drown. And, you know, they'd face divers paralysis, which we call the bends now. And it was just this fascinating history. And um, Broome itself was a tiny township, but people from all over the world descended on it like you would get with sort of a gold rush town. So in the mid 19th century, and there were people from all over the world in this in this really small space rubbing up against one another. So people from America, from Asia, from Europe, from the Caribbean. um, And I just was just hooked on this really, really interesting Subject this really interesting time and this really interesting part of the world, um, and so that encouraged me to do more research. And everything that I discovered about the pearling industry, I just got so sort of deeper and deeper into this obsession. And I thought, wow, okay, I need I need to write a book about this. But also at the time, I was reading a lot of nineteenth-century adventure fiction, and hey, that's a really really macho genre. There are lots of men in those books, and I thought that i needed to put a woman at the center of that sort of story so that's how this specific book uh came to light yeah so it's all started from there really
1: that sounds exciting yeah, <laughs> let, let me let me come back to more of the book in just a moment but i wanted to tie off uh the question about stories because i kind of got a bit, a bit excited and <laughs> wanted to jump ahead <laughs> a little bit uh, <laughs> but what do you love the most about yourself and your story Hey friends, sorry to disturb you from listening to this amazing conversation, but I just wanted to let you know that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead After Being Knocked Down, is now available for pre-orders i'll make sure the link is in the show notes below so if you do want to learn how to lead your life in the very best way possible and you love stories and you want to learn more about my story the living roller coaster ride that it is then go and pre-order a copy right now the book will be uh, available everywhere books are sold september 27th but but if you can go and pre-order it now i would be so so grateful all right my friends let's get back into the incredible story
0: what do I love most about myself?
1: Yes, That's end an the story. interesting
0: question. Um, okay, what I like about myself is that I think I'm an empathetic person, and so I think I can um, see the best in people and see the different sides of lots of different stories. Mm. Um, and what do I like best about this book? I think I like. So basically. I wanted this book, aside from its general topic of pearl diving and that sort of history and and all that interesting stuff, I also wanted it to be a book about how grief can propel us into action and how grief can actually take us through well, in this case, take the main character and lots of the other characters through the story and almost act as a sort of rocket fuel. So there are lots of people in this story who have suffered loss to some degree. So it might be that they've lost, you know, they have physically lost family members or they've lost land or liberty because this was a time when white settlers, you know, took from indigenous communities to a disgusting degree. Um, But I wanted that, loss to make all these characters really active. And I wanted that loss to give them agency. And that's certainly my experience of grief Um, and my experience of loss. You know, I have seen it as this very propulsive thing. So that's what I think I like best about this book.
1: I like it because I think grief is an interesting phenomenon because for some people it can propel them forward or it can do the complete opposite. It can keep them stuck and wallowing yeah. in grief. And I'm curious, did you wrestle with that notion of like with my my character in here, with creating her, like I'm going to keep her in a period of being stuck before I propel her forward into this grand adventure?
0: Totally. And that's something that I've, I've experienced both of those ways of coping with grief, I would say. Um, this sort of free fall aspect of it. And then the agency aspect of it, and actually taking yourself through a story. And I did want to explore both of those things with Eliza, my main character in this book. Um, so she is—I I wanted her to be realistic. So I didn't want her to be this sort of superhero character who, yes, is, you know, she's lost her father and that's going to propel her through everything. Because things have happened to her in the past that still hold her back and almost drag her down, like hands would drag you into an ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to make that clear too. She's not okay. She is still battling with things that have happened with her past but she is also propelled. And I think you can live those two experiences as well. And I think they can change constantly um, and coexist together. And that's something I wanted to explore with her.
1: How did you form the character of Eliza? I'm curious.
0: So actually I got the inspiration for Eliza when I was in the Maritime Museum in Fremantle. <laughs> so I was my sister and I were doing a road trip through Western Australia and we ended up at this museum. We were like, hey, yeah, let's have a look through um, and sort of tucked away among the boats and like the old anchors and things like that was a, an exhibition about a family of British settlers who had sailed across to Western Australia to set up in the pearl diving industry. Yeah. Um, the patriarch of that family was like a horrible man, really quite nasty and didn't treat his dive as well. But the matriarch, um, the, the female yeah. head of the family, was pretty formidable she was an early feminist she set up a school in the outback she survived storms and shipwrecks and she had this daughter and there was a picture of her with her daughter and her daughter was in this white sort of christening dress and these big black heavy boots and I was like those two girls women are really interesting and so that was the general inspiration for a sort of very strong-willed character at this time when women weren't actually given very much space or very much authority or, you know, weren't really considered to be worth much more than being wow. a woman, you know, the opposite to a man. Um, so yeah, so that was where I got, got my inspiration for her.
1: What does it mean for you to be creative?
0: <sighs>
1: I'm here today with all the time. You know
0: that's really- Sorry. <laughs> yeah, you, you definitely <laughs> are. Um, oh it's interesting because I think creativity and especially in terms of being an author can sometimes look like writing 5,000 words a day you know but I don't necessarily think that's creativity I think that's slog um, and I think that's numbers what is the best sort of creativity for me is if I've gone for say a really long walk or I've gone for a, a swim or something and I've come back and I've picked up a post-it note and I've worked out how to fix a problem in my book and that's one sentence so I think for me creativity is like breakthrough and progress and um being propelled into something I don't think it's necessarily sort of sitting at a desk and tapping out thousands of words a day even though I need to do that too um but yeah I think sometimes creativity can be sort of really small tiny moments that actually have a big impact on sort of a general project
1: So in saying that, I love that answer, did you find yourself having a lot of creative blocks during this writing process?
0: Yes, I I would say so, Um, but I also don't think I necessarily agree with the idea of writer's block. Um, I think that comes from sort of being a journalist You can't make a living with writer's block as a journalist because you have to write that article. You have to meet that deadline. You have to just get it done. So I do think I can get stuff down. You know, I think I'm I'm always able to write something, whether it's any good and whether it's going to end up in the final book. That's sort of up for debate. (laughs) But um, I I also do think that um, being active and doing activities that are quite sort of repetitive and meditative like swimming and um, walking can really help when it comes to those sort of untangling those knots that are in your brain and those plot points and things like that. So, yeah. How
1: did How did you know as you were writing that this in fact was done? It was like this chapter was finished, I'm done with this one. Like the, I'm curious about this whole whole process of actual... <laughs> Getting the it, flow it's right. Never
0: done, it's never done. It never feels done. It never felt done to me. So I was editing <laughs> this book right up to, you know, the last minute. Um, so the first draft of this book looks nothing like the final draft of this book. It was a constant redrafting, redrafting, redrafting process, tweaking things, fiddling with things. And then you write a manuscript, then it gets turned into a printed thing and you get to look at that before it gets turned into a final book. I was tweaking that up until the last minute. And I just think that's that's very common for authors. Um, Obviously, that's a difference between journalism and fiction as well. With journalism, you write something quickly send it off into the ether and there's sort of no real chance to panic or tinker or obsess. Whereas um, when you're an author, there is lots of time to sort of agonise over words and phrases and should this chapter be here? And I think it's good that there are deadlines because I, I think some authors would just be sort of playing around with their books for forevermore. <laughs>
1: I like how you said uh, you didn't feel like it was finished, like it's never done because I'm I'm sort of in that process at the moment with my first book which is coming out in in September uh, in America which is is like an exciting whirlwind but at the same time I'm like yeah it doesn't feel like it's done and I I'm like like you right I look at the very first draft of my book and I'm like this is doesn't look anything like what it is now and i'm still yeah. trying to change a few things like i'll think of something new and i'm like oh i'm gonna put that in
0: <laughs> I know <that's laughs> the thing. Like,
1: whoops just annoy annoy my publishers
0: <laughs> i just think we'll live in this constant state of feeling like it's feeling like it's never done and that's just something that we're gonna have to learn to live with i guess but um, yeah, yeah.
1: It's a fun, it's a fun journey, isn't it?
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> but what, what are you most proud of regarding this book and how long did it take you to finish the book in the first place?
0: So the research process was quite long and spread out because I started researching it sort of with this vague idea of a book in mind several years ago when I was still oh. a journalist and I was still traveling around the world and So whenever I could, I would get research in for this thing. And I think, oh, you know, this is for the future book. This is for the future novel. And it was only really when um, I was diagnosed with um, the autoimmune disease that it started actually properly forming shape and becoming a routine and getting the words down. So in terms of that part of it, it was probably a year and a half um, from, you know, sitting down and actually writing it. and did you say what what am I most proud about?
1: Yeah. What, what are you most proud about it?
0: Do you know what? I've I've had. I, I think I'm proud of being able to get across an interesting and difficult part of history um and it not feel like a textbook or a reference book and I'm saying that because of sort of feedback that I've had from readers who have said oh this this really drew, drew my attention to a really interesting and fascinating part of history but it was also a page turner and I was also invested in the story and I think that is a worry you know when you're a journalist especially writing in historical fiction you you perhaps worry that you're going to bog your reader down or they're going to, you know, there's going to be just too, you know, too much um, information about the historical aspects of it. But in a technical sense, that's what I'm most proud of it. And also just proud for getting, you know, getting, getting there, getting to the end of, of writing a book, because when you start doing it, you feel like that's never going to happen. So...
1: I completely understand what you mean. Sorry, my dog was barking there in the background. <laughs> she's, uh, she's a German Shepherd puppy, so she can uh, bark quite loud, but um, I completely understand what you were saying there in terms of um, writing the whole writing process. It is not an easy thing. So I think you should be proud not just coming up with the idea but actually getting it out there into the world. And like I was saying not long ago, I think it's going to go really, really well. Um, to me, I love page turners. I mean, I'm, I'm an in, like, I'm a creative individual just naturally. And I have a visual mind. So I love reading books that have visual appeal to them. And I think if I can picture it, then it's going to be great for me.
0: (laughs) I have a similar brain. When I was actually writing the book, I printed out know dozens of pictures of the landscape, um, you know, 19th century pearl divers, women from that period that I thought looked inspiring and like badass and and so and just plastered them on my wall. So when I was typing, because obviously I couldn't be in Australia all the time doing all the doing all the research, when I was here in London sort of typing away, I'd be able to look at this like wall of inspiration and visualize it. And I had a Pinterest board and all, you know, all those sorts of things. So I'm definitely a very visual writer too. And I'm the same. If I'm reading a book and I can really, if I really feel immersed in it and can really picture it, then that's what makes a page turner for me.
1: Do you have a favorite book?
0: Oh, do you know what? I I love The Life of Pi by Jan Martel. And that was actually, I, I loved reading that again while writing this book. Um, I just think it's so outlandish. It's like one of those books that's so outlandish, but he's pulled it off really well. And again, that's really immersive. Um, and you you just feel like you're there when the ship is sinking and all these animals are sort of coming out of their cages and they're in the sea. And also it's it's a really clever book as well. You know, you get to the end of that book and you're like, oh oh, God, have I just read something completely differently? There's like a, re- a big clever twist at the end. So I think that's one of my favourite books. But I just read so, I read a lot of different genres. Another of my favorite books is a book called Do No Harm, which is by a brain surgeon called Henry Marsh. And it's just fascinating. He talks about the intricacies of being a brain surgeon, but also just the psychology of it and the patients and the people he meets and this heavy burden of having life in your hands as well. And so... Yeah, that's one of my favorite books too, but I'm, I'm I'm definitely flexible with genre and read all sorts of different things.
1: I think the Do No Harm book that's on my on my list, my reading list. So I can't wait Can you- to get to it. Oh yeah,
0: it's brilliant. It's so good.
1: I'm still working through. I've got books off to the side. You can't see them. I've got another book bookshelf off to this side, and I've got this one that kind of looks pretty in the back. <laughs> <a better> <laughs> But, um, yeah, I'll definitely finish your book and I'll send you an email or I'll tag you in a post on Instagram and let oh, you know what me. I thought of it. I have, what I have what they call a phantom times bestseller list. Oh. It's nothing like the the New York times or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's my own personal, like a friend of mine, the the middle book there, Simon Hill, he kind of created it for me, uh, because oh, okay. I started doing like these mini book reviews. So because I'm a huge reader. So I I can't wait to get stuck into this one and finish it. And um, which brings me to my next question, which is where can people get a copy of the book? If they're in Australia, the UK, is it coming out in the US too?
0: Yes, it is. So it's out in Australia now and you can get it online, um, you know, everywhere that you get books online and every good books shop as well, you should be able to find it. In the UK, it's coming out in March, on the 3rd of March. And then in the US and Canada, it's coming out in June. And then other territories um, after that. So, yeah, it's, it's been really exciting sort of seeing how different territories have interpreted the book in terms of cover and things like that. So all the covers are very different. That's really interesting. And how they're marketed as well, like the sort of genre that it's marketed in. It's just fascinating. It's, it's really interesting stuff and I feel really lucky.
1: And where do you want people to connect with you, Lizzie?
0: Um, so I do have a website that's www.lizzypook.com, but I'm on Instagram and Twitter and um, both are at Lizzy and I'd love to hear from anyone. Just do get in touch, ask me anything. So
1: yeah. I'll make sure everyone knows where to get a copy of the book. I personally love going into like my local Dimmicks or bookshop mm-hmm. and then being able to see it on display and I'm like, yeah, oh, I, I know that person. <laughs> they it. I feel like a sense of accomplishment, even though I didn't yes, write the book. Exactly. I that. <laughs> it's so cool. Um, so I can't wait to go into the local bookshop down the road from my house and see it and and just oh, sing you. your praises to the the staff members and then everyone else oh, thank <laughs> I come <you>. in contact <laughs> with. But Lizzie, I got one final question for you, if that's all right with you. This is my all time favorite question. I love asking all my guests at the very end. If you thought all the others were hard, maybe this one might be harder. We'll see how we go. (laughs) I'm
0: (laughs) Um, preparing myself.
1: But it's it's a hypothetical question, but I want you to imagine with me for a moment the being able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic for the sake of argument, but they've been able to get it and show it to you on your hundredth birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life?
0: Oh, I just, yeah, I just think it would be really nice. Um, for it to show that I always gave it a go. Like I, I always gave everything my best shot and I wasn't scared of taking risks, risks, and putting myself out there. Because that's something that I strive to do. It's kind of, it can be quite hard to put yourself out there in, you know, as an author, as a journalist, as a woman in general. Um, and so I really hope it would say that. But also, you know, it's, it's all about family and friends, isn't it? That's what really matters at the end of the day. So it would be nice to have a little show reel of all that, <laughs> all my lovely relationships and things like that. But, yeah, she gave it a go would be a good one.
1: <laughs> I, think, I think that's a perfect send-off message for people to, uh, to take away from everything that you've said. I've really enjoyed this conversation. You're a lot of fun, you know, bubbly, bright, and you've got some great stories. I think we could have gone a little bit longer with the other stories. <laughs> I could have dug a little bit deeper, but just can I say thank you so much for all the work that you're doing and continuing to do. And what's next for you? Just real quick. I'm curious in the next book,
0: yeah, so I'm I've, I'm writing my second book or attempting to write my second book, which is interesting, you know, while you're living in the world of book one and then trying to write book two. So I do have a first draft of it. So that's something I've got something down, mm. something to sort of chip away at and mold into something that resembles a book. But that might take some time. But yeah, that's my main focus. Uh, yeah, every day, well talking about
1: this book and trying to write the other book <laughs> very very exciting can't wait for the second book even though i haven't finished the first one but anyway <laughs> thank you so much lizzie for joining me today on the Storybox podcast
0: thank you thanks so much for
1: having me i really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story i just want to say thank you to all of you And don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then.
0: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.